0: Good morning, Cornerstone. Um, My name is Monica, and I'll be reading today's scripture. Today's passage can be found in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. Please follow along. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Monica. Well, today we start a new series and appropriately, it's uh, on like when we, as a nation, celebrate Independence Day. Uh, though we try to redefine that as Christians, we don't celebrate our independence from our Lord God, because we—that's just not reality. We all are dependent on Him, but our independence as a nation. And so, Happy Fourth of July. But we're beginning a new series. We finished Luke, our series through Luke. It was quite a long series through that wonderful book. And now we're doing a topical series called Heart Check. And in this series of messages, we will tackle the destructive habits that we find in each of our lives because of uh, the sin that just continues to be a part of who we are on this side of eternity. But thanks be to the Lord, we are, can experience this freedom in Christ, and we will be talking about these, this freedom that, um, that can come to us in Christ and free us from these sinful habits. Now, it's a process, of course, but our daily choices lead to lasting change, not only within ourselves, but also in the world around us um, and affect the others in our lives, so whether we have bad habits, they'll affect people and, or ourselves, or good habits, godly habits, that also will affect people. And so we're going to be looking at the bad habits and cho- and, and with the choice and the belief that Christ Jesus will change and put in good habits in our lives. So these, these habits, these sinful habits are pride, excuses, anger, lust, workaholism, and guilt and shame. There's a lot more, but we're going to limit the series to just six. Uh, messages uh, through this summer and so these are the things we'll be tackling over the next few weeks the only way that we can change a bad habit is to understand what is the root cause of these habits and so we're going to be looking at the root cause first each week and then uh, we're going to turn to Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit and because only by the power of his spirit that dwells within each of us who believe and follow him that then a bad habit can be transformed into a good habit to replace that bad habit. But it can only be replaced in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to be clear here, not trying harder on our own strength to be a better person or be a better Christian or however we think that way. If we're doing it on our own strength, like a self-help book or something like that, then we're just participating in this ongoing bad habit of sinful pride. Uh, because we're depending on ourselves. And today, that's what we're going to be looking at, is this first bad habit of, that deals with our sinful pride. Because it is the foundation, actually, of all the other bad habits and sinful habits of our lives. So we're going to deal with the, the foundational bad habit, and then the others will spin off from that in different ways. You know, there's an old um, legend urban legend that has bounced around the internet for a long time. Uh, I've looked into it in preparation. I think it's been around since, well, before the internet was around. Uh, So early 90s, uh, it started to be picking up steam. But it's this story about um, a warship that was going in the fog and they couldn't see and then all of a sudden in front of the warship they saw this bright light and off in the distance, and it started to get brighter and brighter as the ship got closer and closer. And so the captain of the ship came to the helm of the ship to assess the situation, and as he was just beginning to assess the situation, he, they heard over the radio this voice, and the voice said, the vessel traveling 18 knots on a 20, 20, or 220 heading, you need to adjust your course 30 degrees. And then... Uh, The captain got on the radio and responded and said, this is the vessel uh, in the heading of 220. Um, You adjust your course 30 degrees. Well, then came the reply, negative, captain. Uh, I suggest you adjust your course 30 degrees. And then irritated, the captain replied, I am the captain in the U.S. Navy. Who am I speaking to? And the voice replied and said, I am an ensign in the U.S. Coast Guard. And then the captain said, Well, then I suggest you adjust your course. And the ensign said, No, sir, I suggest you adjust yours immediately. And so the captain, really irritated, now says, Son, we are a U.S. Navy warship. And then the voice comes back and says, Well, sir, we are a lighthouse. I think you should adjust your course. And I tell this story because this is a picture of sinful pride. We exhibit this pride when we're so focused on our own perceived importance. Than, and we see ourselves as being bigger and more important than everyone else in our lives. And the Bible is really hard on sinful pride, on pride in general, because it keeps us from seeing and being aware and acknowledging our own sin. And so that's why the, the Scriptures are really harsh on this. And not only will this sinful pride lead us then away from God, But it damages, then, the other relationships that we have in our lives. Christian apologist and author C.S. Lewis said, and I quote, There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in in ourselves, or have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. End quote. So, what is pride? Well, the text Monica read earlier for us is... Uh, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 14, and it is a picture of self-centered pride. And that's why we're looking at this text now. The ultimate statement of pride in this text is in verse 14, which says, I will make myself like the Most High God. Now, the prophet Isaiah was describing here the pride of the king of Babylon at that time, but scholars, biblical scholars tend to point to this text as a description of something far deeper than just what appears as the defeat of the Babylonian empire at that time. The understanding is that this is not only describing the fall of the king of Babylon, but also the fall and defeat of Satan himself, the ultimate enemy of God. And This highest of God's angels, uh, what is known as Lucifer, the day star, uh, he tried to seize the throne of God and take for himself the worship that only is to be given to the Lord God alone. And you know, uh, it's that image, that statement, I will make myself like the most high, is the ultimate expression of pride. And it revealed Satan's basic strategy that he is the an imitator. He is an imitator of what is good, but he's actually totally anti-God. And so like the king of Babylon, he's going to be defeated and humiliated and ultimately thrown into hell, as we see in the teachings of Scripture. Uh, Proverbs sixteen eighteen is very uh, true when it says there, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So, to get even a a better idea of what pride is, we need to go back all the way to the beginning of the scriptures uh, in the very beginning with Adam and Eve when they first sinned in the Garden of Eden. And this is another description of sinful pride at work. Eve and the snake, I'm going to prep before we get into the text there in Genesis 3. Eve and the snake are talking about eating of the trees in the garden. And Eve uh, restates God's command that they were not to eat of this one forbidden tree at the command of God. And so uh, we pick up the story in Genesis 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here we see that Satan, God's enemy, speaking through the snake, appealed for them to have this sinful pride saying, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hear that statement again? You will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the clearest description of what pride, sinful pride, is. Adam and Eve allowed their minds and their own judgment to be what ruled their life rather than the command and word of God. They became like God in their own eyes by saying, I will judge what's right and wrong apart from the living God. That is sinful pride. So we can say it like this. Pride is believing that we judge what is right and wrong separate from God. That's ultimately what pride is we start to make the decisions of our life on what we think is right, not according to what God has determined to be right and wrong. And so like Satan, we believe and act that we can judge in place of God and his word. So immediately we, re- we see the consequences of their sin, right? Their, their focus turns back to themselves. So they're totally focused on themselves, and then they realize They're exposed, their nakedness. And so then they try to cover it up by their own work, right? They work hard at trying to cover up their exposed bodies. And notice that they don't seek God's help at this point. They don't seek out, they don't reach out to the Lord God because now, immediately after their sin, they are operating in their lives based on what they think is right, not on what God's word has commanded them to as right or wrong. It was self-centered pride that led Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. And to this day, thousands of years later now, with us, uh, the struggle is still whether we are going to follow the word of the Lord or are we going to be our own judge and make the decisions and follow what we think is right and wrong. And when we refuse to do it God's way, we create this bad habit of sinful pride in our lives. So when we lash out verbally and we hurt the people in our lives, we are just thinking of ourselves only. If we struggle with jealousy, we are thinking of ourselves only. If we truly regarded the other person as more important than ourselves, we would be happy for them rather than just focusing on our shortfall of what we lacked or what we wished we could have had. What about when, say, people view pornography? Uh, Do they really care for the people that they're looking at? No. It's totally, they're just doing it for their own self-gratification. They're just thinking of themselves. Listen to the warning of pastor and author Steve Poe. I, uh, he's a Christian pastor and author. I'm going to say that. Now here's the quote When you and I continue to live in self centered pride, we are also promoting the devil's agenda. When Jesus wants you to put him on the throne of your life, the devil wants you to put yourself on the throne of your life. That might surprise you, but it's true. The devil is not trying to get you to be a devil worshiper. He knows that if he can get you to be self centered, If he can get you to be self-focused, you will only further his agenda. He won't worry about you serving God because he knows as long as you are self-centered, you will ultimately move against the purposes and plans of God. End quote. So how is sinful pride evident in our everyday lives? How does this practically show up? Well, our thoughts, our values, our decisions, our relationships are all affected by our sinful pride. It'll show up in all those things. And I find it very interesting that it, this act of eating, it seems to be connected with this dealing of pride when the scriptures often. Uh, for example, Adam and Eve, right? They just ate of the tree out of their sinful pride, and they, they did what was forbidden by God. And how did Satan first tempt Jesus in the wilderness? His first temptation, right? Look in Matthew chapter 4. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, meaning Jesus, was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Adam and Eve ate out of sinful pride and broke God's command. And here Jesus is tempted to eat, in a sense, to prove his identity. But he already knew who he was. He didn't have to prove anything. And he just instead followed the word of God and worshipped God and what he was intending to do. And he he did not fall to that temptation to eat out of self-gratification only. Then let's look at uh, how did Jesus want His followers to worship Him uh, and the memory of His and what He accomplished on the cross. How was it? Well, it's eating and drinking again as an act of alliance and faith in Him as Lord and Savior. And in the action of eating and drinking, eating the bread and drinking the cup, we can really see that our pride then is set on Christ and what He did, rather than be having pride in our own selves. And that's why I believe Jesus wants us to do this as often as we eat it because you and I need this constant act of faith to realign our pride to be in Christ and not in ourselves. And so that's why we continue to remember him through what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. Our pride is set on Christ and then is transformed and continues to be transformed into his image. It's a process. So another thing in the scriptures that focuses on eating is when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom forever on earth, Revelation chapter 19 speaks of this marriage supper of the Lamb that the followers of Jesus will partake of. And then later in Revelation 22, there is the tree of life with the fruit that it produces, and it's leaves that can be eaten. And both of these are images of the freedom that we have now from self-centeredness as we follow and obey the Lord God in the eternal kingdom to come. You know, as we now turn to practicality of our daily habit of eating, you know, our daily habit of eating often, if you think about it, reveals our sinful pride if we eat only for self-gratification then we eat whatever we want whenever we want and we don't care because it's just gratifying ourselves it's filling our stomach making us feel good but when i see my daily eating as an act of worship because all that we do are to be in the name of the glory of god if we see that as an act of worship, then the way I eat and what I eat and probably will become healthier. As I realize that this body that God has given me is something that I'm to be a good steward of, and that is how I worship the Lord as well. And I will show restraint, too, in how much I eat. I won't gorge myself or be a glutton. Thinking of our eating habits and consider if... The way we eat is simply for self-gratification usually, or is it an act of worship in our understanding? But besides eating habits, how do we know if we are self-centered? How does it show up? Well, we can ask ourselves if any of these things are true in our lives, these questions here. Do I often become defensive? Think about it. Do I blame everyone else for my problems? Do I have a hard time cooperating with others, whether it's at work or school, projects, or just in general and anything? Are my conversations usually turned eventually to be about myself, about my work, about my concerns, about my interests, um, about my relationships, about... You know, basically anything to do with me. Because sinful pride moves us to be, it's all about me. Ultimately, everything's about me. It's all about me. How do we deal with our sinful pride? We all struggle with this. But we need to have a plan, brothers and sisters. We can't just coast. We need to have a plan. The best way to get rid of a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. And so one popular method for building habits is called uh, the 2190 rule. And uh, this just simply means it takes 21 days to create a new habit, and then it takes about another 90 days to make it a part of our lifestyle. So it's like we do it without really thinking about it anymore. And, you know, we didn't create our bad habit overnight. And so we cannot create a good habit overnight either. It's going to take some time to replace it. So as I was thinking through this and how can we practically, as followers of Jesus, replace the bad habit of sinful pride, which is such, like we said, a foundation of everything uh, sinful in our lives. Um, I I found a, a good six steps that is helpful from this pastor and author Steve Poe's book, Creatures of Habit. So the first step is something that you've heard many times as a follower, is it needs to be regular in our life, and that is confess our sin. Now, confession of sin is an act of humility before God, first and foremost. Confessing our sin to the person that we've hurt or offended then also moves us to be humble because we must admit that we are in the wrong, that we did something that was not right. And it's like what James 5, 16 says. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Think of it right now. If we don't have the regular habit of confession before the Lord, a daily evaluation of what we have done to dishonor Him, if we don't have that practice in our life, then sinful pride has a huge grip on us right now. I mean, just practically, think of a sin right now that you need to confess. Just think of one. Does something come to mind? If nothing does, then that does not mean you have not sinned. That just means that you are unaware. Because sinful pride blinds us to our own sin. So, confess our sin is the first step. Second step is humble ourselves, which is very much related and and intertwined with the first step. Being humble does not mean we think less of ourselves, it just simply means we think of ourselves less often. It's not all about me in that sense. Uh, In other words, we think more of others than ourselves. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 talk about this. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now this practically means that when we start our day or our week and we're making plans, do we ever think about other people in those plans? Or are we just thinking about what I gotta to do today, what I want to accomplish today, what I get, you know, and, and I never think about other people. Then we are not very humble in that regard. Are we thinking of other people in our lives when we plan? Okay, so confess our sin, humble ourselves. The third step then is to make time to listen to others. Do we get so impatient when someone's trying to express their thought that we just interrupt and talk over them to express our own thoughts? Uh, When we do this, this is a sinful pride act because one of the best ways to Break the pride, the sinful pride, uh, um, is to just actually focus and listen to someone authentically. Be interested in what their opinion is or what they are sharing with us. In a sense, stop what we're doing, put that phone away, right, when someone's talking to us, and give them eye contact and just listen to them. Actually focus on what they're saying. The very act of listening is antithesis to pride. Pride because we are focusing then not on ourselves we're focusing on others and it recenters our focus outside of ourselves and so when we truly listen to another's opinion what we're communicating is that their opinion is important to us and that our thoughts and opinion are not the only thing that we care about as romans 12:3 says don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by, faith, by the faith God has given us. Okay, the fourth step is be intentional to ask for help. Whoops, I went a little f- fast there, sorry. Yeah, be intentional to ask for help. Do we have a hard time asking others for help? And there's that funny description there. You know, where we're not willing to ask for a lending hand because we won't give up our pride. And this is a clear sign of self-centered pride if we don't like to ask others for help. Asking for help acknowledges that there are people out there that might be better at what we're trying to do or know more than we know or just that the fact that we can't do it on our own. We need the help of others to get this task done. It's humbly admitting our need for help and then the fifth step is the practice of being grateful do we feel that everything good in our lives that has happened to us is because of our own achievements of our own efforts you know we've just lived well we've made the best choices if we feel that way then that is a sign of sinful pride uh, when we express thanksgiving to God for all that He has done in our lives, it moves our attention away from ourselves and onto the provider of everything good, and that being the Lord God. So when we show gratitude to our coworkers, say, it's impossible for us then to take all the credit because we're actually saying thanks to them for helping. Uh, gratitude moves us away from our self-centered pride. So practice being grateful for all of those who are important in our lives. Think right now of how you can be grateful in a practical way to your parents. And don't just do it on Mother's Day and Father's Day, right? Just do it. Think of it now. How can you today just show some gratitude to them, for them as your parents? Or think of, like, for your teacher. How would you show gratitude to your teacher or your boss or your coworker or your friend or your sibling? Just be grateful to them and ultimately to count our blessings by being grateful to the Lord God who provides all things. So we've seen these steps. Confess our sin, humble ourselves, make time to listen to others, be intentional to ask for help, practice being grateful, which leads us to the sixth step. Celebrate the good that happens to others. Now this may seem like, this is a no-brainer, but I know this is tough for us. If a co-worker gets a promotion, and we don't, we celebrate with the goodness that has happened to that coworker. Uh, we're self-centered if we immediately think of ourselves, like, oh, I didn't get that, you know? We're only thinking of ourselves. We're not thinking and celebrating with the good that happens to uh, somebody else. I see this the best when, with, uh, in our community with SAT scores, you know, and, and you always compare, right? Like, so if I you get a pretty good score, but then somebody gets a really good score, Oh, man, you know? And, and so we're just thinking of our self-centered, uh, we're all just thinking of ourselves and, um, and how bad we are compared to them. Take heart from the instructions of Romans 12, 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And when we sincerely, can sincerely celebrate with those who have good things happening to them, whether whatever's happening in our life, actually, I'll guarantee when we sincerely celebrate with them, our days will be a little better too uh, because of that celebration. You know, we all struggle with sinful pride, each and every one of us this side of eternity. And the good news is those of us who follow Jesus have His Spirit within us through faith in Him. And the, the power of His Spirit in us is transforming us into His image. And this is a process And we should be able to see some progress in this where we are not so gripped with our self-centered pride. And when we can see that process, we can rejoice. And these six steps that we just mentioned are simply just a, uh, a help, a guide to participate in his ongoing process of transformation, to keep our eyes off ourselves and to put them on Christ and the others that he's put in our lives. So, brothers and sisters, let's encourage one another and spur one another on toward Christ in doing good deeds for his name and sharing his gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your truth and your example, your example of love and grace in Christ Jesus, your example of just accepting all questions and not getting defensive. Not having to prove yourself, but being solid in who you were and what you came to do on earth. And now, Lord, as followers of you, Jesus, as children of the living God, we can as well reside on earth with a confidence in our identity in you. And that our eyes, as long as they are fixed on you, will then have, uh, see our lives transformed into bright and shining lights in this world of darkness. Not bringing attention to ourselves, but shining light on the truth and value of you, Lord Jesus, as the living, redeeming, forgiving God. And Lord, this is our prayer now, that you would just unleash us in Cornerstone to do what you have called each of us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.